I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And we're back. Hello, it's another writer's routine. This is the show that takes a quick scan through the working day of a successful author to try and squeeze all the info about planning and plotting and publishing that we can. Now, today we're speaking to the thriller author, Jackie Rose. Uh, She's got a brand new book out right now. It's called Toxic, and it's all about a tussle for power and revenge in murky gangland. Now, we talk about the very spontaneous way uh, that she plans her story in that she doesn't. She barely gives it a second thought. Also, we find out why she spends her writing days mainly wandering from one place in her house to the other. And uh, we learn why she doesn't want to know anything about the ending until she finally gets there. One and one doesn't always make two when you're writing. Um, And so I try not to go there because I think if you know the end, you're working towards that end, whereas you might miss a different route. You might miss a different trail. So stick around. That's all on the way with Jackie Rose in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, hello, welcome along, welcome back, welcome one, welcome all. Uh, My name is Dan Simpson. Thank you for joining me with another writer's routine. Now, very quickly, before we get into the episode, uh, I want to do a quick plea, do all the admin, get out of the way early doors. If you're enjoying the show so far, I would love to hear what you think over on the iTunes podcast store. So I guess that's if you've heard a few of the shows that we've done in the run of the series over the last few months and you're enjoying that. Or maybe this is your first one. Hey, if you liked the tight editing and the snappy chat in the first couple of minutes, then I guess you can let me know about that too. Uh, Yeah, it would be fantastic if you could leave Writer's Routine a review over on the iTunes podcast store. I promise it'll barely take like a minute of your day. For such a small amount of time for you, it makes such a big deal for us here. It helps us with the whole chart. It helps us find new listeners and then get more authors on. And it's so simple, I promise. Just get onto iTunes, find this show, write a few fancy words if you like. Five stars would be amazing. I'd love to see what you say with your review on the iTunes podcast store. Leave your name on there as well, because if it's a particularly florid description of what we do, uh, I might give you a shout out in the next few weeks. Please, it barely takes a second. Just leave Writer's Routine a review on the iTunes podcast store. So Jackie Rose is our guest on the show this week. She's here sharing the diary of her working day and trying to explain uh, how she plans and how she plots and how she finally publishes her book. Spoiler. 
she doesn't do any of the first two. <laughs> She's got a really, really chilled out approach to storytelling uh, and, and kind of laissez-faire manner in plotting, I think is the best way to describe it. We'll talk about that during the show. Now, Jackie has sold over 100,000 copies of six books so far in the series, and she's also dabbled in other genres under a different pen name, one that I will keep safe with her. Now, the Jackie Rose books, they're all thrillers. And this one stays in the urban gangland world. Uh, So we talk about how she spices up her series of thrillers because they've all got one word titles. The covers, they all look fairly similar. Uh, So we find out how she makes them all different for a very loyal readership in just a sec and how she writes them both to please and pacify and also surprise that expectant fan base who know exactly what they want from a Jackie Rose book. That's in the conversation in a few minutes' time. Also, we talk about the things that she needs to know, the very few things that she needs to know about her story before she starts typing away, and also why she doesn't read her contemporaries' work and how she thinks that keeps her books fresh and unique. Plus, there's some kind of niche editing and publication chat in this, uh, which is always nice to hear. I know that Some of you listening may be coming towards the end of your work and you're figuring out what to do next with it. Jackie's got some helpful tips for you in just a sec. And we get her views on whether reviews actually mean anything at all. So that's on the way with this week's guest, Jackie Rose, after we start, as always, with what she sees at the place where she sits down to write. What I see is a shiny bookcase my daughter made me with all Swarovski crystals on it, which is pretty cool. Um, I see my books and I see a picture of Malibu because that inspires me to keep on read, uh, writing because I think to myself, that's the house I want in Malibu. And if I keep on writing, maybe one day I'll get it. So that's, <laughs> yeah, totally. Where are you in the house then with your with your hundreds of Swarovski crystals lining. Yeah. Well, I have to move about. Uh, I start off in my study. I've got a study, which is cool. First time I've got a study. But then once I start getting distracted and start going on social media, I have to move myself down to the kitchen. So I change computers and I go on my laptop and then I get distracted by making, you know, all sorts of food that I don't need. And then I go in the garden and with my laptop. And then in the end, I end up going to the stables where my horses are kept. And I sit in the field writing with my laptop. And that's where I find my peace. Yeah. <laughs> so how did that develop then? Did you, why did you start suddenly moving all around the house? I, it, it just felt really, I wasn't settled. And I just thought, oh, no, I've got to get up and move somewhere. It was like a subconscious thing. Uh, yeah, I just felt, oh, no, this isn't right. And just felt all agitated, not concentrating. And so it was a natural thing to, to move about. It's really odd, really odd. It's the only thing I sort of move about for. When I read, when I watch TV, I'm not, you know, desperate to move about. But that's what happens. <laughs> so logical question would then be, if you if you find the piece that you need to write in the stables why don't you just start the day there yes you see that would be the logical thing but everything is a home you know sort of the kettle sort of notes um you know pens and papers and each time i think it's not going to happen each time i think i'll be able to sit in front of this computer and not move but you know i know maybe i should try it starting from the stables but maybe i'll have to work backwards and end up at home maybe that's a good way to do it well here's something do do the different places that you work in your house give you different ideas and inspiration so you know they say about memory the easiest way to remember something that you've forgotten is 
to go back to the last place that you remembered yeah. it because it sparks your brain into action. I, I would say different paths when I'm in the field. There's more of um, intensity about it. it you, my mind is absolute. I'm, I'm not, I can't get uh, Wi-Fi up there or in the fields and anything. So my mind's free of anything else. And it's at one with nature and it's intense and it's just so focused. It's almost like I'm doing a yoga meditation up there. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> the show is called Writer's Routine. Talk me through yours then. Uh, we already know that you travel all around your house to get things done. But the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day where you are writing, how does it work? I wake up with thoughts in my head. Uh, I've got kids and I don't want them to speak to me because all these thoughts are going round and round in my brain because I don't actually make notes at all. I don't have a story plan at all. So if I'm halfway through an idea and somebody goes, Mom, where's my socks, Mom? It, it really sort of you know sort of snaps me out uh, because I'm sort of in a real zone the minute I start writing I'm in a zone so all these ideas you, you know come into my head and then often I will then you know see them off very quickly to school uh, and I will sit down make my tea sit in the study put some music on uh, and just shut the door what music are you listening to it depends what scene it depends what scene, um, because if it's a real intense car chase or something really dramatic, it will be maybe a rock song. Um, so my writing goes with the speed of the beat. Um, but otherwise, if this is a really sad, again, it might be something like a slow opera piece. Uh, it might be classical piano. But I am distracted if there's words. If there's words, I can't because I'm listening mm. to the words rather than the melody. So I'll put some music on and then I'll just just read through what I've written the day before, hate it, and, <laughs> and start editing as I go along because I like to have a really tight draft by the end. I'm not one of these authors that can, you know, sort of have a really messy first draft at all. And then I'll just sit there and almost like Anthony Trollope used to finish at a certain time. I'm pretty much like that. At one o'clock, that's it. I'll go and see my horses, you know, unless I'm, of course, in the field. And I'll unwind. I might go riding. But all the time, my thoughts on it. But I know I can get really obsessive. And if I get obsessive, every life goes out of the window. So I try to force myself to do other things as well. So when you're doing your tour of the house, how long do you tend to spend in each place before you get up and move on? How, what, what do you think your concentration, what, what length your burst of concentration before you need to get up and go? Uh, probably about 20 minutes. 20 minutes? 20 minutes, yeah. 20 minutes. It's, unless I'm editing. If I'm editing, I, I will sit there maybe for two, two, three hours. But I'll be writing 20 minutes and then my brain's going, what are you doing? And I have to pull myself away because I start getting all agitated, like I said. And then I'll move and then I'll sit down and be able to write about 20 minutes, yeah. So you're writing from when you drop the kids off at school so what's that about half nine till one yeah half nine till one o'clock and then I'll try to force myself not to go back until the evening when everything the day's done because otherwise I can't like I say I can get really obsessive and you know I won't want to do anything it was a friend actually and <laughs> who said about um her boyfriend did speed racing and banger cars and I thought oh that's really cool and then she was telling me about the characters the weird and strange characters you get at the ringside and then from there I started to think about uh, this guy Johnny who may be 
had you know his own racetrack but maybe dealt in drugs as well because she was telling me about how they launder a lot of money allegedly <laughs> at uh, thank you for yeah, that thank yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> at these you know banger racing and stuff and that's when it started to form in my head the idea of you know this guy who sort of wheels and deals around these banger racing and yeah now, so you've got your wheeler dealer around yeah. the banger racer mm-hmm. then what happens you've already said earlier that you don't plan it so no. thoroughly so you know exactly what's coming next but how do you expand on that initial idea it can't just be right i'm gonna have a, a character called johnny he might allegedly launder money in a banger racer fingers on the keyboard yeah it's totally like that i knew that i wanted to bring alfie jennings in from my old books because i'd ha- i've had a break of two years writing these books and I thought to myself, OK, let me bring them back, you know, because they've been in Marbella, you know, sunning it up, having a good time. I thought, let's bring them back and let's mix it in with this guy, Johnny. I had no idea how, no idea why. I knew in my heart that they were a bit down on their luck and they needed maybe another deal to sort of become kingpins of Essex again. And uh, but literally, I don't know. And sometimes I can panic. I, and I think, don't panic don't panic and be okay especially when I know sort of I'm halfway through and maybe my deadline's looming um yeah I I have no idea where it's going to go and it just I I see it like a movie and I feel I'm almost the secretary to my characters and all I'm doing is writing down what I see and hear in my head you know so that that's how it works it's odd it's strange but you must have some idea of your story I just I, I can't figure out that right so we've got Johnny yeah Johnny is involved he's a bit of a mobster yeah he's involved in banger racing yeah. i just i know it sounds romantic but i can't believe that that is it you must know the <laughs> you must have some idea of the journey that he's going to take let's let, so if you look at the story like a we often like a road map mm-hmm. you must you must know you're going from a you must know moderately where you want to end up at b and you must have a few pit stops on the way no not at all it's like for example you said to me uh, make a story up about this cup. Uh, I would just start making, I wouldn't have any idea. I would just start talking about the cup and maybe suddenly it grows legs and then it walks out of the door and, and all the time I'm doing a sentence, then the next image in my mind comes up. And that's how I've always done it. And that's since a kid, it's really strange. And it's like loads of voices in my head. And I really do see it like a movie. I mean, when my editors and uh, publishers ask me for a synopsis, I can't give it them. And they've given up asking. (laughs) Because I really, really don't know. Occasionally, I'm not saying that, you know, sort of, um, I might go, oh, I know, it'd be really great if uh, there was a, I don't know, huge explosion um, at a petrol station that's not in my book so don't worry but you, you know and I, I think oh yeah I could put that in but I don't know how I'm going to get there I have no idea how I'm going to get there at all um, and so my head has to be really clear the the weeks running up to starting a new book I can't be stressed I can't be too tired because my brain won't function properly it's, it's odd isn't it I know <laughs> so if all you know when you start writing is, yeah. is maybe a few characters yes you must need to know them very well then how do you expand and develop your characters? Because the type of stories that you write are of a type, and yeah. there are a few of those around. Yes. You know, Martina Cole, yeah. people like this. And, and the readers 
like to know the type of story that they are getting? How do you make sure that your mobster isn't exactly the same mobster that I could read in any book like this? Because I don't read other people's books. So I know it's unique to me. That's the thing. Uh, so I'm, I know if, if I wrote, read Martina's or Kimberly's or and I love Kimberly, um, it, you know, sort of you might start picking up, you know, subconsciously bits and pieces. But I know because I don't read, you know, those sort of books, because I, I love my classics, uh, the, you know, that's not going to come into the pages. That's going to be same old same. Of course, there's a tick box for this sort of genre. You've got to have sort of hard man, but with a heart, not completely, uh, not completely damaged. And then, you know, you can't bring them back from the brink. You need a woman in adversity. I get that. But that's stories from age old stories, isn't it? That's like in every movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> so do you have any techniques for developing them then? Or, or do they just flesh themselves out yeah, on the page? They, yeah, they flesh themselves out. And one of the things that a lot of readers says to me that uh, I was surprised at this twist, I didn't see it coming. It's like, no, neither did I. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's what um, the good thing about not making plans because it's not plotted out. It just happens. So I don't know who's behind the door when I see the door in my head. I, you know, I have to get to that sentence. You know, Alfie walked up to the door, he opened the door, and there was, and then whoever is there. I didn't know Johnny needed a wife until I was, uh, I had done the first scene with Johnny at the Bangor Racing and his skipyard with this prostitute. And then suddenly I thought... I bet he's got a wife. Do you remember? My brain would, you know, and uh, it sort of developed from there. And, you know, what sort of wife would he be? Because he seemed very controlling when I was starting writing the scene and really weird, like nobody leaves Johnny. And he sort of, there's two sides to him, a very passionate side uh, where, you know, angry side, should I say, like he beats in the first scene, he beats up, um, he beats up one of his workers really badly. But then we cut to him cradling his worker in his uh, in his lap, you know, saying, oh, there, there, that's it, it's all over. Like, really weird and sinister. And I thought, how awful would it be to be married to somebody like that? And so Brie, who I didn't realise was going to be such a, you know, sort of a major player in the book, came into it. Um, I just thought maybe she was a side player. Because uh, obviously I knew anybody who had married to somebody like Johnny would either be, had to be hard as nails or be really vulnerable. Um, and she came out as vulnerable because it turns out his mo mother, Ma, Ma Dwyer, you know, is the hard as nails one who, you know, and he's got all his strange behavior from her who, and she said, so when I started writing Ma, it, you know, I did think of Ma Baker. She had all the gangster sons. And that's, you know, and I thought, oh, yeah, she's very much like Ma Baker, big and bold and just uh, nasty, but very possessive over her sons. Um, and I thought, gosh, could you imagine what Bree's life would be like in the middle of this and not being able to get away, not being able to escape, not being able to. And it's sort of hopefully, or, or, you know, sort of developed, she developed organically. So how far into your story, and you don't know what's going on, yeah. Do things start to click into place when you maybe have an idea how you will end this? I try not to. I try to block out the end. I try to block out the end. Really? That's I, because I just can't. I can't <laughs> fathom that because when yeah. when I read stories, yes, things are foreshadowed. Yes, 
I can look at the story as if it's a math sum and if I were to go deep enough into yes. it I could figure out what it's going to equal yes and I can't believe that you you can't yes. figure that out yourself as an author yeah no because that's a different sort of brainwave isn't it you're thinking because that's are you quite mathematical um, no, not really. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah, because no. the way you explain that, yeah, it's like, A, you know, one and one doesn't always make two when you're writing. Um, and so I try not to go there because I think if you know the end, you're working towards that end, whereas you might miss a different route. You might miss a different trail. Um, yes, it, it's bizarre. I, when people ask me, how do you write? How do I? I have no answers for them because it kind of just happens naturally. And that's the problem. <laughs> and, it, you know, I know there are lots of authors out there who have this amazing plan, amazing storyline, all these different color codings and cards and different. It's like you're just storytelling. It's like sitting around a campfire and making up a story. That's, it's just basic, back to basics and having fun with it. <laughs> but, but you're against both the deadline of time and a deadline of words almost. I'd, I'd imagine yeah, that you, yeah. you need to have, have, I don't know, is it 100,000 words? What is it? Yeah, yeah 100,000, 90 to 100,000 words, yeah. So y there must be a point where you're 80,000 80, words in and you're yeah. thinking, I need to end this. Um, again, I, you know, you you just naturally know an arc. You naturally know an arc of the story, how long it's going to be. And maybe my first book, if I look at the first book taken, I didn't naturally know the arc. Maybe it went on to 110,000 words. But you, you automatically feel a story in the middle, the beginning, the middle. And I'll sometimes say to myself, I bet this will finish around 92,000 words and I'm only out by about 1,000. More on toxic then. And I yeah. promise I, this is the last question that I will push, yeah, no, I will, I will yes, push about no, this. Yeah. It's without, the first time I've thought about no, it no, myself. A, <laughs> without giving too much away, yeah. at what point in you writing the story of toxic did you realise how it would end? I know you said that you, you're not looking for it, but there must be a moment if you are driving on this route through the fog, because you don't know what's in front of you, where it all starts to become clear. Do you remember that moment? I think almost at the, it was almost at the end, I suddenly got a <gasps> moment. Could you imagine if this happened? And that was pro probably, uh, probably about 3,000, 4,000 words away from what, what happens, yeah. I didn't know, but I trust, I have to trust in myself. As in, you know, it's been like a singer or an athlete or whatever. You have to trust that you can do it. And when you panic, that's when it's not going to happen. Whereas suddenly, about three, four thousand words from the end, I just thought, of course. Thank you, Brie, for telling me. Because it was like Brie who told me. I feel like I don't tell them, they tell me. Yeah. And like I say, I'm just the secretary there. It's like, yes. And so far, it's never failed me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Now, very quickly, before we get back to part two with Jackie Rose, let me just take a quick second to remind you of all the ways that you can get in touch with us at Writer's Routine. Oh, very quickly, by the way, uh, do you remember a few weeks ago we had Garrod Conley on the show uh, with the incredible story of his experience in gay conversion therapy after his Baptist preacher parents sent him there? Well, the trailer for the film adaptation uh, is out right now and it looks like something very special as well. It's got Russell Crowe, Nicole Kidman in it. Uh, so you go and find it please it's well worth a few minutes of your time i may even give it a retweet as well if you forget about this uh, just to jog your memory so you can watch the trailer and then maybe uh, share the episode that we recorded with the author garrod conley across your socials too now, to see that retweet, you'll need to give us a follow first. We are Writers Pod on Twitter, where you can get little snippets of our chats to break up your day. You can get updates from us all the time on there as well. And it's probably the best way to get a nice quick reply over on Twitter. Also, we're on Instagram. It is Writers Routine there, uh, where you can get daily, nah, near daily, I guess. Uh, every just You can get updates and motivational quotes when I remember. And they're all photoshopped kind of slightly iffily onto pictures of the authors that I can find online. So that's Writer's Routine on Instagram. And as always, you can get to us on the website where you can send us a message and you can take a look at what we're doing over at writersroutine.com. Now, here's the thing. I am aware uh, that a lot of the listeners to this show are writers. And there's a huge community of authors on Twitter with a writing block and they're always looking for anything to take their mind off of the book that they need to get done so that means there's no excuses give us a follow on twitter we are writers pod there and i promise we can provide you with some online distraction to your work let's get back to our chat then with jackie rose the hugely successful author and if you want a sign of how successful she is by the way when i met her a few weeks ago she looked like something that the queen would want to put on display in the tower of london honestly she was just wearing so much bling so many jewels she looked incredible Uh, and she mentioned swarovski crystals earlier i think i pronounced that right well you know swarovskis uh, i've been told are for success now we're chatting about her new book toxic how that was plotted how it was put down on paper how it was then published and in this second half we chat about how she constantly has to keep in mind what her audience wants and how possibly at times that's kind of odds with what her hand wants to write Also, you can hear about language and what she thinks about her characters. And we get back into it with my, uh, you know, I'll be honest, bafflement at the way that she plots. Uh, So I'm just thinking if Jackie suddenly arrives at the end, does that mean she needs to go back throughout the story and sprinkle in a few clues and red herrings along the way? I make sure it's just... You know, along the way, it's really tight. 
and I'm pleased with it, you know. And then once I finish, I then send it to my editor and then she'll give me the feedback. But yeah, no, injecting injection clues and stuff, no. Because the readers aren't stupid. They can feel you injecting the clue. It's like, oh yeah, they put a clue in chapter 10, yeah. We mentioned earlier how you don't read Martina Cole's work. So, but no. your, so this is your seventh book? Uh, this is my seventh book on this genre, yes. Seventh book in this genre. What do your readers want, do you think? What do they imagine a Jackie Rose book to be? When they're picking up the new one, what does it need to have in it? It's definitely got to be character-driven. I know a lot of stories, you're supposed to have that. But the characters that they can relate to, characters that they can hate, it needs to be a book. Hopefully when they buy my book, they'll know that their emotions are going to be challenged. Um, They're going to have a thrilling read. And yes, it's gangland, but that's sort of the side story. It's always about people. It's always about... Uh, the emotionals going on with people and having to face adversity. Now, so your seven books—they're all—they're all one word titled they are. of this genre. And as and as you said, your readers do know what what they might be getting. Yes. They know that their emotions are going to be challenged. How is it for you as an author to make them all different? So that Taken will be different from Dishonor, that Toxic will be different from Avenged. Yeah, I th- I th- I think hopefully my brain just gives me different uh, challenges all the time. I I would hate to only be in the box of just one area, one lot of people, but my publishers have been great because uh, one of them is partly set in Islamabad, another one is you know set in Soho, another one is set in the 1970s as Ireland and then jumps back to present day. So they've given me a real free reign to be able to explore uh, the world as long as you do bring it back to the tick boxes of what readers expect. Let's talk about the way that you tell your story then. So the actual words that are written on the page. Mm. How much thought are you giving to what word is coming next? If you edit quite tightly, everything needs to be very fine-tuned. Yes. Uh, I write quite lyrically, which is annoying sometimes because I used to do a lot of poetry um, and sometimes I have to go I don't need a complex sentence when I read it back you I'm just telling the story Um, but I I, I'm not actually thinking of the words when I'm writing because like I say I'm seeing them I'm seeing what's happening I'm seeing the people going in out of the room I'm hearing the conversations the dialogue is very easy for me because I just hear it constantly but when I do read back um, if I, I need it to not the words not to sound jarring, not to sound um, you know sort of sharp. I, I like to see it slight lyrical flow, and obviously I've got to pull back from my like I've got a literary side to me. I've got to pull back from that because that's not what people want in a Jackie Rose. Uh, but I do like as um, well written words as you can. So that's interesting. Why don't you think they want that from a Jackie Rose? Why? Well, let's start. I've who, been told. <laughs> so who are you aiming this book at? So um, who's in your mind when you're writing it? I'm hopefully aiming it beyond the box of maybe the Martina Cole, you know, readers. Because Martina's got a brilliant set of readers. But uh, maybe 
maybe I'm not sure they should try but the guardian readers of this world might not you know automatically reach down for uh, Martina Cole I mean I don't know why why not because she's a fab storyteller but uh, I'm just trying to aim it for a broader audience as possible to give a good story for people who like I say wouldn't necessarily reach down for a gangland uh, just to expand you know that small box of readers gangland readers so when you're editing yes what what are you cutting out most of all, do you think? What really bugs you that you need to quickly pick out? How are you stripping it back? Uh, I'm stripping it back if it's too... Uh, is the word florid? You know, too sort of flancy. And I call it my candle and candelabra moment. Um, just get to the point sometimes, I have to. You know what I mean? Because I can be very sort of Bronte-esque writing and I have to strip that away and I go no because you write what you'd want to read um and yeah I do want to read it but you know a lot of people might not want to <laughs> read it so I, I I am aware of the commercial you know commercial books and how it should be done so I do strip that away and I do um try to uh, bring it back to what it should be in that book it's <laughs> talking about how commercial your books are yes and we mentioned earlier just that your readers like to know what they can expect. So does that mean, have you almost got a tick box for a Jackie Rose book? Uh, when I write a Jackie Rose book, I know what I have to do. I know what I have to do. I what know what's re- required of me. Um, like I say, it's got to, well, it's got to be 100,000 words. It's got to uh, be women and diversities. I go, you know, uh, strong, tough men. It's got to be a storyline. It's got to be edge of your seat. Uh, it's got to be clear. It, it, it can't, shouldn't contain too many characters, which is I always struggle with. And it, it's just got to be a fun a thrilling read that readers can pick up any time, you know, if they've just, you know, finished cooking a meal, maybe they've got half an hour. Um, it's got to be an easy read, an easy read. And how much do you think that affects the way that you tell your story? Is it simply a switch that you can flick in your brain that says, right, I'm writing the Jackie Rose genre now? Yeah, it is a switch because I think uh, it would be like a musician if they were writing, uh, I don't know, like Arkoff Uncle or something, they're writing the World Cup song. He would know it would have to be, you know, sort of straight and <laughs> and just sort of catchy and fun, uh, you know, rather than something very, very elaborate might not hold the readers because you want to hook the readers in and you want to hold them. It's no good, you know, just letting them grow halfway through. Two other main protagonists, Alfie and Vaughan, and they do feature in another books, and they're the gangsters. They're the uh, guys who are bad guys, but you're hoping to root for. So they, Johnny couldn't be somebody you wanted to root for. You wanted, I needed Johnny to be somebody that you wanted to see fall because of the way he treated Bree, the way he treated his kids, what he was doing in his life. So there couldn't be a redeeming too many redeeming features but at the same time I wanted a character that you understood how he got there you understood how he became so horrible Uh, because I think if you don't understand that uh, and why that you know maybe you do lose the readers he's got to be a whole person and so he had a very damaged childhood from Ma but then you see rather than flashbacks you see how Ma treats him and you go okay that's why 
but that doesn't excuse him from his behavior but you, there's an understanding so you he needed to be a real rogue but uh, readers had to understand why he would do such things otherwise sometimes it doesn't come across as truthful and that's all figured out without any brainstorming without yeah. any jotting down on a notepad totally because you know i'm just like you just know people it's like when you have a group of friends isn't it after a couple of sort of conversations you kind of figured out what that person's like and you can do a little profile of them in your head and it's the same sort of thing you kind of when you're writing a character and when they you start writing them and you see how their story's going you go okay i i, I clock that person i can see how what he's like yeah we, we spoke at the very start about when this when the idea for this book came into your head yeah and that you pretty much you get the idea go and sit down and start tapping away what about the routine of how you write the whole book so what's the time scale for that so you have this very first idea yeah. how long is it before you'll then sit down and start tapping away how long is it then before you'll edit uh, hand in your first draft Okay, so uh, usually, I mean, this was the toxic was the beginning of a new contract, and I was waiting for everything to be signed and sealed. So, but usually, what I this an idea would come into my head like a character, and and I'd think, okay, that's something and nothing. But then, if this character wouldn't go away in my head, I was like, I've got a story to tell. You need to sit down. Then I go, okay, this is what it's about. Then I would sit down, and probably um, it would take me. If I'm being really good, it'd probably take me about three and a half months to write the book. But sometimes I ride my horses instead of writing and I go, oh, my goodness, I've got eight weeks to write the book. And then I just sort of go on an intense every single day without fail. I, I know my where I have to be and I never miss the deadlines you said that you edit very thoroughly. Yeah. I was chatting to uh, Mark Billingham the other day who said that he was a two-draft novelist. Yeah. What about you? No, that's it. <laughs> I send off what I've edited <laughs> to my editor. Yeah, what I've written, I send it off. And, yeah. and that gets published? Uh, no, I mean, we've got... we do. She, she sends off structural edits, um, but they're never huge. They're never huge. I've never had like pages and pages of having to cut this character out. But it's more sort of bring out the character of Brie. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe in this scene, you can make maybe Johnny more sympathetic and I'll go yay or nay. Yeah, I, I've been really lucky with my structural edits. It's, it doesn't take long at all. So, yeah. This is your first book in two, three years? Uh, this is the first in this genre. I, I've uh, written a couple of uh, geopolitical thrillers, yeah. In... Oh, oh, incredible. Yeah. So, <laughs> with the geopolitical thrillers, mm-hmm. how did you switch your writing style? I know that we've mentioned this before, to then write these urban gangland thrillers. That's, that's a good question because it was difficult because I, I don't find writing the Jackie Rose books difficult, you know, because it's, it's a fun storytelling. Whereas the geopolitical thrillers, they were complex, difficult, multi-layered, lots of characters, lots of research. And it's like, wow. Um, so to make the jump, you know, back, I could see... Uh, when I was editing, you know, I was making it maybe too complex. And one of the, uh, I'm getting really nice reviews, which is great. But a few people have gone, oh, there's lots of characters, too many characters. And that's the the throwback from having these geopolitical thrillers. um, And so the switch was much more much more difficult than I thought uh, because I was trying to make it too complex and I was like whoa hold on there it doesn't have to be complex it can just be a you know a thrilling story and 
what readers expect. So once that sort of went into my brain, I thought, okay, this is how it goes. And actually, um, what I I did have to do was read uh, uh, one of my books. So I thought, oh, that's how I do it. (laughs) Because I'd forgotten how to write a Jackie Rose book. And you mentioned reviews just a second ago. How much do you try and learn from them so I do learn I do try to learn because it's the reader it's no good being stubborn and going what do they know you know because actually you know if one or two going oh there's too many characters you go yeah okay that's just your taste but maybe when the five or six or seven go there's lots of characters uh, and I got confused you know I'm thinking okay um i'll bring that back and i thought i didn't think there was lots of characters but obviously they thought there was maybe you know too many characters and so in the next book fatal which i've already written i did think let me make it a smaller set of you know people um but i do try to i do try to learn from what they say and it's it's always interesting but that's you know most people are really positive in the sort of the past four or five years however long it's been since I've been writing these books uh, about you know it's been a page turn and I enjoyed it you know um, yeah there have been great reviews well then that's about it for today's writer's routine massive thank you to Jackie Rose for coming on the show for sparing me a a few minutes of her day and if you love your page turning high speed commercial thrillers I think Toxic her brand new one may just be the book for you. You can find links to it over on my website, which is writersroutine.com. Now, something very quick to flag up. In terms of future episodes of this show, uh, things are getting a bit loose in in the next couple of months. But with good reason, uh, we'll we'll get back to normality kind of September time, I should hope. Uh, Now, we should be back next week talking to the co-authors of a book which hopes to teach anyone how to write their memoir. And then, well, after that, I'm in Edinburgh for the whole of August. I am performing, actually, in the Fun Kids Epic Roadshow Adventure, uh, which perhaps gives some clues as to what my day job is. And if you're coming along, if you're at the Edinburgh Fringe over the next few weeks, and if you've got your whole family there, maybe you've got some kids in tow too, please bring them along. I'd love to see you. I'd love to say hello. And it's always good to have confirmed numbers through the door when you're up in Edinburgh. It ain't cheap to live there for a month. Now, what that means is one of two things for this show. Either there won't be many episodes uh, until September after next week, or I'll get loads of guests in the bag, because think of it, there must be tons of people at the Edinburgh Fringe who have a book out. Surely it can't be that hard to have a chat to some of them, uh, but we'll see what happens. That's the state of play. We may be away for a while, we may not be. Please, though, if you want to keep updated with what we're doing on the show, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. uh, And and I'd love it as well if you could leave us a review on the iTunes podcast store. And that's about it. All things being well, I will see you next week uh, chatting to two authors who have co-written a book on how to let you write your own memoir in the best possible way. That's next time on Writer's Routine. I'll see you then. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.